tonight I'm going to open up with a story, a parable actually, one that I'm not sure if anybody's heard, but I heard it and I'm going to share it with you guys. This is a story of a young boy named Willie Juan. He grew up in Mexico. He was half Hopi Indian, half Mexican, and he lived in a small village with his mom, dad, and his grandmother, Calm Sunset. Willie was a special child because he had some deformities, and he was looked down upon by me in the village, and his life wasn't easy. His father, to help make ends meet for the family, would go work in the United States doing work, menial work, and sending back money to the village to help support the family. But then one day, the checks stopped coming, and they didn't hear anything from him. And months later, a friend of his came to the village and said that he was killed while he was working out, out, of, out of town. So his mom and Willie moved in with grandmother, and they started life again. But tragedy stroke, uh, struck Willie's life again when him and his mom were in a car wreck. Sadly, his mom did not make it, but Willie did survive. But, without, but he did not survive without being scarred. His leg became crippled permanently, and he had these nasty um, burns all over his body, which didn't help because he's already um, a different shade from the other kids in the village, and his hair is a mix of sandy blonde, a strawberry red hair, compared to the other Hispanic kids there with their straight black hair. But Willie doesn't let that get him down. He continues just to try to live life as best he can, but, as we know, kids can be cruel. He's bullied repeatedly, and his only friend he might have is a young girl in the village named Anna. She's actually the sister of one of the bullies who picks on him, and she kind of protects him. But Willie still keeps his spirits up, and eventually this festival occurs in the village, and Willie's excited. He saved his money. He's going to go and enjoy the lights and the food and the parades, and he's super, super excited about this, and so he takes off. And while he's at this parade and this festival, some of the kids are like, let's get Willie. So they trick him into trying to do something they know he can't, but they egg him on and egg him on. And when he fails, they continue to laugh at him and make fun of him. And it causes Willie to run off and head to, one, head to the church. It's here that Willie first meets the man he comes to know as the Man of Sorrows. If you know anything about Mexican culture, there a lot of them are Catholic, so he walks into this church, and he sees this big crucifix of Jesus on the cross. And Willie looks at him and looks at his eyes and knows just this immense sadness there as he's hanging there. But he also realizes that he looks thirsty. So Willie, being Willie, goes and gets a ladder, a little cup of water, climbs the ladder very carefully, and pours water into the statue's mouth. It, of course, trickles down the statue onto the floor, and what Willie doesn't know is that the kids who have been picking on him followed him to the church. And they went and laughed at him and went and told the priest. The priest comes and starts berating him and telling him, you should be doing this, this is a holy artifact, and starts to lecture Willie on Jesus and why he is so holy and how we cannot come near him. And it really breaks Willie's heart. He's been picked on all day, and then this happens. He feels completely useless and like trash. 
So he runs home to his grandmother, crawls in her lap, and just starts weeping and crying. Why am I so different? Why do they pick on me? Why can't I be like everybody else? His grandmother, calm sunset, just sits there and rocks him and just continues to tell him, Willie, you're special. They just don't see it. You are so beautiful, so loved, and I'm hoping one day you'll get to experience and see it like I do. He ends up sleeping in her lap all night, being rocked as she sings to him, and eventually dozes off. Fast forward a week or so later, and this traveling medicine man comes to town, and he's selling this wonder, wonder cure. It's called Amarine. He's telling everybody it will cure any illness, any disease, anything you're thinking about, this will cure it. And everybody, of course, is like, well, how much does it cost? And he's like, I'm giving it to you for free. Just got to take it. And oddly enough, everybody thinks he's crazy and won't pay attention to him, and they just leave him alone. Except for Willie Wan. He looks at this guy, and as he looks him in the eyes, he realizes that the medicine man is also the man of sorrows he saw on the cross. So Willie timidly walks up to him and starts talking to him. And this medicine man is super kind. He talks with Willie Wan and sits down and has lunch with him. And Willie finally gets up the nerve. Will you be my friend? He's half expecting him to say no and get away, but the medicine man is like, of course, little brother, I'll be your friend. And Willie is Willie Wan's ecstatic. He's super happy. But then he starts to get afraid. Well, what if I mess up? What if I do something wrong and he finds out? He's going to get mad at me. But he pushes it aside, and him and the medicine man keep talking. The medicine man eventually says, I'm going to give you a gift before I leave, and I want you to do something with this amarine I'm giving you. I want you to place two drops on your body, one drop on the scars, and the last drop I want you to place on your heart. And he says, when you do this, you will be cured of these burns in your leg. So, of course, Willie's like, yeah, let's do this. So he helps the medicine man pack up. Guy heads out of town. Willie Wan heads home, and he goes to his room and starts praying. And he's like, please work. And he goes and puts a drop on his burn on his burns, and nothing happens. He sits there and looks in the mirror, and nothing has changed. The burns are still there, and he gets angry to the point where he is yelling in his room. Why did you lie to me? You said this was work. You were supposed to be my friend. How could you do something like this to me? I still look like a freak. I still look like a mess, and you promised that would be cured. And after much screaming and yelling... And being angry, he throws the bottle off to the side of his room and ends up falling asleep. And while asleep, he starts to hear this voice. Willie Wan, Willie Wan. And he finally answers, yes. And he said, I am the comforter. And tell me what's wrong. So Willie tells him about the medicine man. And the comforter tells Willie about the love of his Abba, how he loves him as he is and not how he should be. How that he has always loved him and he wants to care for him. He just only needs to trust in that. And amazingly through the night, Willie starts to let go of this anger and frustration. 
and still goes about his life. Not long after that, he has another dream, and the comforter speaks to him and says, Willie Wan, I want you to go to the cavern of bright darkness. It's a place well known to the village. It used to be an old chapel up in a mountainside, but that was generations ago, and now they have their church in the village. And it's pretty perilous. Not many people can climb up there. So Willie Wan talks to Calm Sunset and says, I was told by the comforter to go to the cavern of bright darkness. And Calm Sunset's like, all right, you should do that. And he's like, but what about my leg? And she says, if the comforter tells you to do something, do it. So Willie Wan packs the little pack, and she reminds him, do not forget that bottle of amarine. He reluctantly takes it, stuffs it in his bag, and makes the trek up to the mountain. He gets to the cave entrance after some work and gets inside, and he sees an altar set there. And who is sitting on the altar but the medicine man? He greets Willie Wan with a wave, and Willie Wan is sitting there in complete amazement to this guy who he had just finished cursing and wanted nothing to do with. And he has this mixture of shame and guilt along with anger. He's still angry because this guy lied to him about being healed of his wounds. But then he feels shame and guilt because what if he knows what I said about him? Will he still be my friend? So Willie Wan walks up to him, and they start talking. And he asks, finally builds up the courage and tells him about what happened with the Amorine. And calmly, the medicine man asks, well, did you place it on your heart? And he said, no, I didn't. And he said, true healing will happen once you place it on your heart. And so I'm going to pick up in that story right here from a book called Patched Together, The Story of My Life. It's by Brennan Manning. He wrote this parable. It's a short read. It took me three days to read this. So for any other reader out there, easily an afternoon read for you. But picking up in the story... Uh, the man of sorrow is sitting there talking with Willie Wan, and he says the following. Strangely comforted, Willie Wan reached deep into his pack for the bottle of amarine. He held it in an outstretched hand and asked, Great man of sorrows, would you place the second drop on my heart? I'm not sure I can do it myself. No, I won't, little brother, answered the medicine man, and Willie Wan felt ashamed for asking. But the medicine man offered a compassionate smile that calmed Willie Wan's nerves. I gave it to you because I know you can do it. It's a part of the trust the Spirit spoke to you about. It may surprise you, but I believe in you even more than you believe in me. You're one of a kind, little friend. You are beautiful because you reflect my beauty in a way that the world has never seen before and will never see again. He paused for a moment. Trust me, Willie Wan. I provided you with the amorine. Now you can apply it. I believe in you. With those words, Willie Wan applied another drop of the medicine. As the drop began to be absorbed into his skin, Willie Wan experienced more room in his heart. He didn't understand how. He just knew there was, and it felt clean, like love. The story goes on where Willie Wan is set in three stages. It's called morning, noon, and night, and each is a different phase of Willie's life. This part happens in the morning where he first meets the medicine man, Second part is his young adulthood where he ends up reconnecting with Anna and becoming a very famous um, singer 
after this experience with the medicine man, he's actually healed of the burns and the scars and the leg as well, and now has this love in his heart. And he has several encounters with the medicine man over his life until the night part of the book where he goes to be with his op in heaven. But what I love about this parable is that it just speaks to all of us. And as believers, our lives change when we accepted Jesus. Actually, everything changes whenever you do accept Jesus. The title of my message tonight is called Today. And this was birthed out of something that happened last week at my job. Um, last week, I went to visit a patient who was on hospice. She is perhaps one of my favorite patients I have because every time she comes in, even though she has a horrible lung disease where she gets super winded really easily and sits there and has to be on a lot of oxygen, she comes in, she never complains, she's a super joy, and I really do love her to death. And I've known her for a few years, and she's actually one of my first patients that I met when I was training, and she remembered me. So she's always had a special place in my heart. So we were talking at one of her last visits, and I asked how everything was going, and the doctors had denied her request for a lung transplant. They were trying a couple other different procedures, but nothing was working. And she finally just opted to, you know what, I'm done. Let's just, I'm, I'm ready, I know where I'm going, and she's accepted that she's ready to go. So me and a couple of coworkers decided to go and visit her. And the night before and that morning, I've been praying, just God prepare me for this visit because I don't know what it's going to be like. And Jordan here knows what it's like to have a patient pass in front of you or hear about them passing. And even though I know I've seen my fair share, I'm sure he has to, nothing can really prepare you to watch somebody pass. So I was asking God to prepare my heart so that way I could be a rock for my coworkers who had never experienced anything like that. So as we're getting ready and uh, about to go, just I heard the Lord whisper to me, live for today. And I was kind of like, okay, that's interesting advice going down seeing this lady. But we go out there and we end up laughing for over an hour with her. She's sitting up in bed, she's talking and watching TV, and we got talking about her life and people she's met and things she's done, and it was truly a special hour with this, uh, with this lady. We'll just call her Mama J, because she's awesome. She was telling us about her family and how they had knit her this um, quilt with all her grandchildren's pictures on it, and she proudly holds it up. And... As we're sitting there and just talking with her and then on my way back when I'm processing everything, I understood what God was saying. Live for today because we're not promised tomorrow. And as I started kind of praying over this message and started forming, um, got me thinking. As believers, our lives truly come alive whenever we finally do believe in Christ, believe in the completed work on the cross, believe that we are redeemed, being made new in his blood. But do we really live that life, that we walk in freedom, that we are cleansed, that he has come to give us abundant life? John 10 says that he is the good shepherd, and he has come to give life and give it abundantly. And after that experience with my patient, 
I got, I got to thinking, do we really live that way as believers? Of course, many of us here, I hope all of us believe that we are saved through Christ alone on the cross. He bore our sins. His blood was shed to cleanse us of those sins. And we are redeemed and made new in God's eyes. And we are forgiven. And our future is secure in heaven. But do we realize that we have new life here and now on earth? And this abundant life is what Christ promises in Scripture. Now to clarify, abundant life isn't we're all living in the hills with massive houses and a six-car garage with Lamborghinis, a Lexus, motorcycles, whatever your fancy, and we can jet over the world to do what we want to, and we've been on MTV Cribs a few times. That's not the abundant life I'm talking about. After being with Mama J, I sat there and I realized that the abundant life is about loving people like Christ. Um, sharing the gospel with others who don't know him, being the hands and feet he's called us to be, and furthering his kingdom through our interactions with others, and just loving those people he's placed in our life. And so that day, I just sat and thought about things I want to do with people I love, friends, family, and making the most of every opportunity because we don't, we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. And like the parable I shared with you, Willie Wan is an example of someone whose life really started changing once he had that encounter with the medicine man. And if you're a reader, I highly suggest getting this book and reading it. It is fantastic. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. But it will just renew this awe about Abba and his love for you. So living abundantly starts with us trusting what God said. It comes to trusting who Christ is what he has done, and what he's accomplished. And when we look at Scripture, outside of Christ himself, the person I think about first and foremost is the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. We know this. And because of him, we're here now, if you really think about it. He was the one who was tasked with spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. And so because of him and his work, spreading through Asia, spreading through Europe, Europe eventually over here to where we have Compass Church now, Paul is huge uh, blessing for us Christians here in America. So I'm going to give a overview of Paul's life because I would sit and read the entire book of Acts, but we have work tomorrow and you have school and lots of different things. I'm sure you don't hear me drawn on for hours on end. But Paul lived an amazing, abundant life. And it doesn't look like you would think an abundant life would look like because we have the American Abundant Life, which is finished describing on MTV Cribs, but then you have this godly abundant life, and Paul exemplified that. So to talk about Paul's life, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not going back that far. But I'm going to start with the Apostle Stephen. Stephen is one of the first deacons, elders of the church after it started. And he was bold and passionate about sharing the good news with everybody to the point where he is arrested and taken before the Jewish ruling council by Sanhedrin. And what I love about Stephen is that he gives this, he goes and just preaches straight from Genesis all the way up through Jesus Christ. And after he gives this whole argument about how Jesus is the one that's been prophesied for and that they were the ones who killed him, 
they get angry, they drag him outside, and they stone him to death. And there's a young man at this stoning who is holding everybody's coats so they can throw rocks easier. And there's a guy named Saul. Saul was a Pharisee above Pharisees to the point where he wanted to go and prove himself and goes and starts persecuting the Christian church in Jerusalem. He goes and starts arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, trying to make a name for himself. Like, I'm showing that I'm going to be a, I'm a good Jew. Eventually, he gets permission to go to Damascus and arrest Jews in that city. But we know that on the way to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And from that point, his life has changed. He ends up changing his name to Paul. He goes around Asia to different cities, spreading the good news, planting churches, helping them to grow, and then moving on to the next place. He's doing great things for the kingdom of God, but it did not come without a price. He was beaten multiple, multiple times. One time he was actually beaten to death. They threw him outside the city thinking he was dead. Homeboy gets up, dusts himself off, goes back in the city and starts preaching again because that's Paul. He's in prison multiple, multiple, multiple times. He's shipwrecked twice. One time while he's shipwrecked, he makes the land with the crew, starts building a fire, and gets bitten by a snake and should have been dead. But he survives because, well, he's Paul. But Paul lives this amazing life. And if you turn to Acts 20, we come to a place in Paul's life that's starting to wind down his adventure as a Christian. He's meeting with the Ephesian elders um, at the church at Ephesus. And this, to me, when I was reading through this several years ago, when I was studying through Acts, I got to this chapter, and I read this section, and I started crying. And I'll explain why at the end, but Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders, and this is significant because out of all the churches that he helped start, he spent the most time here. He spent three years at Ephesus preaching the good news, building up disciples, building up elders, leaders in the church, working with people. I'm sure he had lots of friends, people he deeply cared about, people he loved. And then he goes, and now he's coming back. Picking up in verse 18, we have the following in Acts 20. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, there will be imprisonment and persecutions waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will ever see my face again. Therefore I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. Paul is telling the Ephesian elders that this is it. 
I'm not going to see any of you this side of eternity. And the hard part is the Holy Spirit tells me that when I go from here, wherever I go, there will be more hurt, more pain, and more suffering. But I'm going to stick to it because Jesus is that important. A lot of Christians want to make Jesus part of their life in early morning or late night devotional prayer time or whatever when Jesus calls for him to be preeminent in your life, not just prominent in your life. And Paul understood that. And that's why he lived this amazingly, amazingly abundant life. Now, I'm not saying any of us here are going to have to go and plant churches all over the world and we're going to get beaten and thrown in prison or this and that. Possible, but highly, I kind of doubt that for a lot of us. But this abundant life that Christ calls us to and says that we have has to start with being filled with him and learning who you are in him. Sharing the good news might be easy for someone to go overseas and do, but sometimes it might be a lot harder to share that good news with that coworker who annoys you or your family. And Lord knows family can be hard to share the gospel with, especially since they know about everything you did when you were little. But this is the abundant life that Christ calls us to and shows us. Sure, we might be blessed with material things, like a nice house, a nice car, um, money, vacations. But when you strip all that away, what do you have left? Hopefully for a lot of us, you have Jesus and your loved ones and family and friends. So I keep thinking about Sunday's message with Pastor Allen. He was talking about having these opportunities and having success with these opportunities. And he gave three ways to discern godly opportunities and having success with them. Firstly, having a relationship with Christ, having a prayer life, and being in the Word daily. And these are all true, and that's where it all starts. But, Pastor, if it's okay, I'm going to add one more thing to this. The last thing I would add to this, this would be be obedient to the Holy Spirit. It seems kind of silly and almost childlike, but... Look what happened in Paul's life. Look at people who you've seen in your life who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and have done some amazing, crazy things that would make no sense to any kind of rational person. But we are people who live by faith, and the Holy Spirit will guide us. And know this, what he is sending you to do or telling you to do is for your good, even if it seems crazy. But more importantly, it is ultimately for God's glory. So when the Spirit tells you to do something, do it. That's how you live this abundant life. Starts with a relationship with Christ. Next, being in the Word, having that prayer life where you're communing with God regularly, and then just being submissive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. We're not promised an easy life, but... Christ does promise that he will walk with us through all of these situations, these trials, these tribulations, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So my prayer for you guys who are listening is that you will step into this abundant life. You are forgiven. You are not held back by your past sins when you accept Christ. He has forgiven you. He has cast those things as far as the east is from the west. He sees you as whole. He sees you as renewed. He sees you as redeemed. You are now a child of God. Abundant life is promised in Scripture. 
And that's one we can all stand upon. So like Willie Wan, like Paul, like all of us here, we truly don't start to live until we believe. But keep in mind, live for today because you aren't guaranteed tomorrow. So I'm going to put on one last song of worship, and this song has just been rocking me lately, and I love it. And I just ask everybody to stand and just during this time, press into God, ask him to show you what this abundant life looks like, areas in your life where you need to turn over to him, places where you might be dealing with unforgiveness or even unrepentant sin. He knows. Why hide it from him? Just let it out. He's God. He wants the good, the bad, and the ugly. He wants everything of you, especially your heart. So turn that over to him because he's a loving, forgiving father. And Lord knows if he can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. So I invite everybody to stand. And we're going to do one last worship song, and then you'll all be dismissed.